welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Um, my name is Bruce Morgan. I'm the, the chair, the, the finance chair on the pastoral advisory team. And what we like to do every couple months or so is give a finance update. We haven't done one in quite some time. So I wanted to give you an update uh, through December, which is six months through our fiscal year, and give you uh, just some indication of, of where we're at. So up on the screen, you've got two sections. On the left, you've got our total contributions or our total revenue. And then on the right side, you've got our total net income. And I am proud, so proud and so honored to be standing in front of you today saying that we are beating our budget by a total of $68,000 for six months through the year. Yeah. So big round of applause. Can't thank everybody enough. I can't tell you how much easier this job becomes and actually in turn how much more difficult it becomes to be able to take all of these extra funds and be able to accelerate things that we're doing here. So what I wanted to show you here is, you know, we're beating our contributions by $68,000 and even our net income, which is all of our income less our expenses, we're still beating by $57,000 for the year. Um, We set a goal for this year for a budget of $300,000. And that's what you see on the bottom on the, on the bottom left. Here I have a laser pointer that I was supposed to use. So, uh, so our $300,000 number, for the rest of this year, we're still forecasting that we're going to beat our budget by 23%, which is really, really cool. So uh, if we go to the next slide, what I really wanted to highlight here is we've talked about contributions. We've talked about net income. The other thing we talk about is cash on hand. And with all of the, the, uh, well, the beat of our, of our contributions, our cash on hand is also well beyond our three-month of expenses dollar value. And so what I want to highlight is really really a couple things. So, um, so first of all, incredible strong performance. Um, we did have several large one-time gifts in December, and a lot of that makes up why we're, why we're doing so well. So the, the generous year-end gifts we always plan for, and it's always tough to see whether or not they're going to be huge or whether or not they're going to be pretty substantial. December's always the biggest. Um, but the other piece, again, is, is that our cash position is strong. The message that I'd love to deliver here today is, is this. Um, we talk about it at the advisory team level all the time about the hopes and dreams that, that we'd love to realize here. And there are so many things we couldn't put in the budget this year because it was just too much. And this type of performance allows us to accelerate some of those things. We're going to two gatherings. We've got all kinds of really cool stories that are happening all over the place. And I would caution that, that it's really easy to say, to look at these positive numbers and say, wow, this is great. I can just pull everything back. Um, I would challenge us to, to really keep this thing going because I can't tell you how many cool things that we've talked about at the advisory team level with Micah and everybody else. And every, every dollar that we continue to invest uh, helps us realize those dreams. Um, we will continue to monitor our regular ties and offerings. So we don't want to make any decisions that, that you know, include all of these one-time gifts because they are one-time and they don't always happen. Um, but generally speaking, our constant level of ties and offerings has still increased, which is really, really cool. And then finally, um, you know, we probably will start talking about how to reinvest some of the extra cash that we've got. We've, we've certainly got some capital projects around here, um, and, uh, and we'll certainly do that. So round of applause again. Really, really cool. Thank you guys so much. It's just really, really, really neat. So I'm also honored to, uh, to introduce Pastor Micah Witham in a way that I've never experienced ever before. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So with some of the extra cash, I went out and bought one of these hoverboards 
totally joking. My father-in-law sent me this for Christmas. And again, and again. So these are a trip. Have you guys ever tried these? Oh, my gosh. I thought I'd do something, you know, really crazy, but my, my kids are like, Dad, don't embarrass us. Oh, hi, there you are. So if anybody, uh, helmets are required for that, uh, if anybody other than my family rides it, so, and it'll cost you a dollar per ride. <laughs> Just kidding. So, um, hi friends, everybody doing all right? That has nothing to do with anything, I just got it, and I was like, I am literally going to ride that in to preach tomorrow. <laughs> Why? Because I can. And we carpeted everything, so it works great, works great. Um, hey, a couple of things before we get going. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, grab those. Uh, we are moving to two gatherings in a couple of weeks, which is very, very exciting. And I wanted to just mention that for a couple of reasons. Um, we've been talking about it, so we want to make sure that everybody knows. 9, 30, and 11, February the 7th. But also, um, our kids' community, we would love, love, love to be able to offer kids' community at both hours, starting on February 7th. But that's going to require at least, I think, like 10, 12, 13, 14, 14 more volunteers to do that. Now, if, ever, if you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, that's a lot, um, maybe, but uh, I would say this, um, these guys can go to the bathroom on their own. The kids, like the kids. So probably no diaper changing, right? I've, I'm, on a, I'm on a streak, a pretty long run of not having to change a diaper, and I'm trying to keep that going for as long as I can. So um, uh, the kids' community is fantastic, such a wonderful group of people who help make that happen, and the kids, of course, are amazing. Can you wave Steph or stand up? If you didn't know, somebody was like, I don't, I, are you Steph, Stephanie Abrahamson? This is Stephanie Abrahamson, everybody. She, uh, yeah, give her a round. Yep, fabulous. She, uh, she is the kids' community director, and so if you are interested at all in working with our kids, uh, please talk to her, or there will be a sign-up sheet in the back. Um, uh, at the end of today at the Discover Awaken booth. Also noted, uh, the year-end statements are back there, so instead of mailing them to you, we'd rather you pick them up. So A through L, M through Z, uh, that's back there. Okay? Okay, everybody. Um, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to continue this series that we are in. I mentioned in the last couple weeks that Mark's gospel just sort of starts out with a bang. So if you haven't been here, um, Mark begins his gospel and just sort of starts right, uh, right when Jesus begins his ministry. So it's essentially the good news about Jesus and the kingdom of God is how Mark starts. And um, chapter 1, the whole book of Mark is actually a number of kind of... Um, Not conflicts, but definitely where you see Jesus and Mark painting Jesus kind of going against or or, uh, challenging some of the systems that are in place. And and the first chapter is really the only chapter without any significant sort of like conflict between Jesus and the teachers of the law. Chapter 2, as we get into today, is really the inciting incident in the book of Mark that carries throughout the whole book that ultimately gets Jesus uh, hanging on a cross at the end of his life. And so we get it here in Mark chapter 2. So I'll have you stand, and uh, we'll read. This is a long one, I, I, war- I will warn you, but um, it, hopefully it will make sense as to why I added a little bit. Starting in chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, Jesus uh, get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "Son, your sins are forgiven." 
Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew his spirit, in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your, sin, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who, saw, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Pray with me. God, this morning, as we... Spend this time with you and in your word, and together, uh, I pray that uh, whatever we've brought into this room, um, whether it be uh, excitement and joy or uh, anxiety or struggle, um, that all of those things would be recognized as they are. God, that we would be a community that tries, at least to the best we can, um, not to wear masks and not to pretend, but to be honest and authentic uh, with each other and with you. And so here we are, and here you are. Uh, Speak to us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So I love my job for a lot of different reasons, but um, this one in particular, I was so very excited to, to teach this this morning. I could not wait. I was, I was spending some time writing this week and just thinking, oh, this is so fun. Theologically, this is, uh, I mean, Mark is uh, sort of pulling out all the stops. This is all the good stuff that, that Mark has to offer as a writer. And narratively, this is just beautiful, beautiful writing. Um, I grew up going to St. Paul Central High School, which is just up the road uh, up here. And it was a a very uh, diverse experience for me as a kid. And often when someone would say something that was controversial or someone would sort of, you know, at the lunch table, somebody would say something, the sort of collective response of everybody in the room was like, ooh, you you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in that situation? Or uh, if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, the, the movie Napoleon Dynamite, there's a guy named Rex, and he teaches Rex Kwando. And so at this one point, he's teaching uh, Kip, who's this great character, he's teaching him this move, and he's like, break the wrist, walk away. Break the wrist, walk away. So if this, if this passage were to happen at St. Paul Central, the response would be like, ooh, or if it were Napoleon Dynamite, Jesus would say, break the wrist, walk away. It's kind of like a mic drop, you know, like drop the mic, just boom, 
That's what's happening in this passage. And I, maybe it takes a little bit to see it. I hope, hopefully by the end of it, you're like, oh, yes, I see it. But I think this is exactly what's happening on this, in this passage. And if we had more time, and I would encourage you, actually, as you, go, uh, as, you, as you leave today and maybe you read this week, read the following passages. Uh, I had them on this, I was going to read them, and then I decided to skip them because it was just, it's a very, very long section. But it actually all goes together from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 3, verse 6. It's all one section that Mark puts together, and it's this beautiful. And if you imagine um, when these would have been uh, Mark's gospel, when it was first written, it would have, been, um, would have been read out loud to a group of people in a community. And there's almost like this kind of uh, dramatic way to read this where if you get it, what Mark's doing in chapter 2, three, verse 6 of chapter 3, it all goes together. It's all one kind of, uh, what do they call that in theater where the person, uh, monologue, there you are, some monologue, friends. And it's absolutely fantastic. Um, Mark continues two things that he's already started and he adds a new one. So there's like three threads or streams that we get in this passage, the first of which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that Pontius Pilate actually makes really clear in chapter 14 of Mark's gospel, when he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Messiah? The first thing that Mark's doing with this first story that he tells is, who is Jesus? Like, who is this guy? The second thread, which we talked about last week, is this idea of Israel. And who is Israel? Or said differently, who are God's people? This is a, a question that uh, the Bible is very concerned about for obvious reasons, but the people in Jesus' time would have been wondering, or they would have had this idea of like, who is Israel and who are God's people? And Mark is absolutely addressing this in this section. And then the third one, which is new this morning and kind of new in, in, the, in the book thus far, is a question about who can really hear this? Like we're talking about who is Jesus and then who are God's people, but then really who can hear this, this new thing that's happening? Do you have ears to hear it and eyes to see it? Now, before we jump in this morning to kind of those three ideas, who is Jesus, who is Israel, and who can hear this, um, Mark, as a writer, of all the gospel writers, Mark is my absolute favorite, and he is such a great storyteller. Uh, I think, have you ever been in a, in a room where somebody, like, oftentimes it's an older person, and they just know how to weave, like, a, a fantastic story together, and everybody just kind of, like, sits and listens to their stories? No? Okay. <laughs> Garrison Keillor, I think. Some people love him. Some people hate him. He's kind of a polarizing. But that guy can weave a story. He can tell a story, right? Mark can tell a story. And I want to I show something this morning because if, if, you don't, if you don't have it and you're not looking for it, sometimes it's hard to see. A lot of times in the Psalms, you get this, and it's called a chiasm or a chiastic structure. Um, Mark does it often. We have it in this passage. The story where Mark uh, tells about Jesus going into the temple and he throws over the tables, it's bookended. A lot of people call it a Mark sandwich. At the beginning of that story, there's this cryptic sort of talk about a fig tree. Then Jesus goes into the temple and turns over the tables, and then he comes back to the fig tree. And it's as if to say you can't understand one without the other, right? The fig trees have something to do with the temple, and what's happening in the temple has something to do with what's happening in the fig trees. It's called a Mark sandwich or a chiasm. Here's how it works. It's basically like you zoom out, you have a camera lens, and you begin like zoomed out, and then you zoom in and you focus on something, and then you zoom back out. So in our passage, the first story is about a healing of a guy who's paralyzed, right? Then the second story was about eating with Matthew, a tax collector. Then the third story is new wine for new wineskins. 
That's the center. That's the focus. That's what Mark's talking about and what he wants to really get at in this passage. Then he zooms back out. The next story, if you keep reading, is a story about a guy who's healed. uh, Or excuse me, it's about um, eating on the Sabbath. Remember that story when Jesus is walking through the the fields and the, the teachers of the law are like, you can't pick grain on the Sabbath. That's the next story Mark tells. And then the last story is another healing, a guy with a shriveled hand. So as you can see, it goes from out, zooms out, to what he really wants to say, and then he zooms back out. It's called a chiasm. So you can find this all over the scriptures. It's all over the Psalms. It's beautiful. And if you were to read this in like a public setting, it's kind of like, drop the mic, walk away, right? That's what I'm trying to say. So let's break these down. First and foremost, who is Jesus? Um, So the first story is about the paralyzed guy. And and usually when you hear this preached in, in a sermon at church, it's this message about like, who are your friends who don't know Jesus? And you should pray for them. And then you should bring them to church, kind of like cutting the hole and dropping them in, right? Those are great. I love those sermons. I had cards in my wallet as a kid with names of people that I prayed for. I think that's fantastic. It's not what I'm going to do today. Who is Jesus? So he's teaching. A crowd has gathered. So many that you can't even get in the house. My daughter this morning was like, Dad, like, how did they cut a hole in the roof? I mean, so I went through, in the ancient Near East, you know, they would have had a, a sunken floor and you had to get to the roofs because you had to replace them all the time because they were thatch and mud. So they, this, this crowd gathers. And these guys hear that Jesus is a healer, that he could maybe heal their paralyzed friend. So they go, they cut a hole in this roof, and they drop them down, which would have been a fascinating day to be there, don't you think? I mean, if you were, like, going to show up in a Bible story, this one would have been a doozy. You're just sitting there hanging, Jesus is teaching, and then, like, dirt starts falling on your head, and you're kind of like, oh, that's interesting. And then more dirt, and then, like, a whole giant section of the roof falls to the floor, and down comes this guy. And everyone's kind of like, whoa, man, this is awesome. So then, this is great. The guy's there. He's paralyzed, and everyone's thinking, brilliant, this guy's a healer, he's paralyzed. And Jesus' response is, your sins are forgiven. To which, if I'm in the room, I'm thinking, dude, you're a healer, I think he wants to walk. Like, if they wanted him to be, sins sins to be forgiven, they would have taken him to the what? Temple, where the priests are, where they do forgiveness of sin. But you, sir, healer, clearly don't get this, so he wants to be healed fascinating response. So then these guys in the room, teachers of the law, Mark says, they think you can't do that. This is blasphemous. Only God can forgive sin. So the word for blasphemy in Hebrew is just a fascinating word. I think we've got it. Yeah, there you are. It has this idea of piercing or boring through something. So essentially what these guys are saying is that Jesus is taking the unspeakable name of Yahweh, the ones that the scribes wouldn't even write. They had so much respect for it. And he's essentially putting a hole in it. He's poking holes in it. He's dragging it through the mud, which according to Leviticus 24.16, I think we have that one, is uh, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. This is a big deal. You, sh- you can't do that. So the teachers of the law are saying to, to Jesus, essentially, listen, they're protecting the religious system in the, old, the, the religious integrity of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, which has been going on forever and ever and ever, all the way back to Moses, right? Forgiveness begins with repentance, 
which is followed by a sacrifice in the temple, which is followed by the priest who says, you're forgiven on behalf of God, because that's the system. So the teachers of the law are basically saying to Jesus, who do you think you are? You can't just come in here and change hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of generational religious institution and forgive people. Only God can do that. So Jesus answers their question with a really cryptic, fascinating way of quoting a book book of the Bible, Daniel chapter 7. And we've talked about this before. He says, the Son of Man. I'm going to do this so that you know the Son of Man has the authority to do this. So what is the Son of Man? Really quickly, we could do a whole series on this, but the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, there's a figure who essentially is being oppressed by these beasts, right? The figure is representative of Israel, and the beasts are representative of the countries and the people who have carted Israel off into exile over the years, right? And the guy, the figure, is, uh, is victorious over the beasts and then given the authority to rule and reign in a kingdom that will never end. So people in Israel who know the book of Daniel, most of the people that Jesus would have been teaching and and people at the temple, they know the book of Daniel and they know this phrase, son of man. And by this time, we know that the son of man is essentially equivalent to the long-awaited Messiah of the Old Testament. So if you're standing there and Jesus quotes from Daniel chapter 7 and says the son of man, more than likely, everybody in the room is thinking, oh, you mean the one that we're all waiting for? The one that God's going to send to come back and restore Israel? And he's like, yeah, that guy. That's me. Drop the mic, walk away. Jesus essentially is saying, I am the son of man, the one who God will give authority to rule and reign in a kingdom that will never end. I'm the one that everybody's waiting for. And then, as if to say, like, that's not enough, right? Then he says, okay, listen, I see, I see the looks on your faces. Maybe you don't believe me. So, so that you do believe me, He tells the guy, stand up, walk home. Because in Deuteronomy 18, the Torah tells the Israelites, when a prophet comes to you and starts prophesying, you can wait it out, vet them to make sure that what they're saying is true. And if it comes to pass, then you know that they're from the Lord. You know that it's true. So Jesus says, son of man, your sins are forgiven. You don't believe me? Be healed. The guy stands up and he walks away. As if to say, next question. (laughs) Bam! Love this guy. So who is Jesus in Mark's gospel? No big deal, right? He's the Messiah. He's the son of man who will be vindicated in resurrection and given the keys to rule and bring a kingdom that will not end. He speaks on behalf of Yahweh and will single-handedly change the entire system where there was once sacrifice and temple and priests, now there is grace and announcement for any and all who receive it by faith in Jesus. So for Mark, this is a big deal. This is who Jesus is. Now the second part of this little deal, as we, as we go in, a story about eating. It's a story about uh, having dinner with the wrong kinds of people, essentially, and it gets to the question of who is Israel and who are God's people? So, if in fact Jesus is the Messiah, then who has he come for and who are his people? And to get what Mark's doing here, you have to go back to chapter 1. Do you guys remember when the gospel opens, Jesus is walking around and he's calling people and he's saying, hey, you, follow me, and you, follow me. This happens in chapter 1. And then he continues this in chapter 2, where he calls Levi a tax collector, and then he goes and eats with him. 
So to get what he's really doing here, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 12. This is, of course, the story of Abram. Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them. God promises this, gives this promise to Abraham. Abraham has a son, his name is Isaac, well done. Isaac has a son, his name is Jacob, well done, bravo, you're paying attention here. So you have the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the patriarchs of Israel. Now Jacob has how many sons? Twelve, well done everyone, twelve. The twelve sons of Jacob become Israel. So Israel as a nation come from these 12 patriarchs, the sons of Jacob. So in Genesis 46, we get all of their names. So if you're standing in the ancient Near East and Jesus, the teacher, comes and he starts talking about Israel, you immediately go back and you go all the way back to Abraham and you know this story and you know who Israel is. It's all of these people who are connected to these 12 and the systems and the structures that you know to be true. Mark begins to tell a different story about Jesus and what he's doing. If Jesus is true Israel, and Mark starts, or Jesus starts walking around, and he's picking people, and he says, you follow me, you follow me, you follow me, and there happens to be 12 of them, what is he, what is he essentially saying? There's a new thing happening. Everything that you know to be true about Israel and how you define it is about to change. This group of people. So imagine the scene, right? You're there. Jesus is calling these people, and you imagine, you you have all these power structures and these religious systems, which has functioned for generations, who all think of themselves as Israel, and you have this deep desire and longing for God to return to Israel and reconstitute Israel and sort of bring Israel back to what it would be, like the, the return to Zion, they called it. And then God would kick out the Romans and all the people who are in the way, and God would punish all the sinners and the idolaters and all the people for whom God had left for in the first place, right? This is all happening in your mind, and you're wondering, like, when will God come back and save us, save me, Israel, the ones who are on the inside? You have this classic, like, we and they, us and them. You know who's in, who's out, and, and why, who, why they're in or why they're out, right? And then Jesus essentially says, or Mark says, Jesus by doing, Everything that you understand we to be, you know, the us group, all the reasons why you think we're we and us are us, and he starts just taking them down one by one after another. And then the movement that you think we are supposed to be about, this guy's claiming to be the leader of it, and I'm on the outside looking in. Now that happened, of course, thousands of years ago, but what happens when the group of people who think they are they and think they are us, the ones that God has chosen, are standing on the outside looking in on a new movement of God's spirit? It's a little unsettling, isn't it? And has that ever happened to the church of Jesus after this? Where God's spirit seems to be out in front of the church, and all the people who think they're in are wondering, how is it that the Spirit is out there and we're here? This is the story of the book of Acts, by the way. And so it's a bit of a warning, I would suggest, for us this morning. This happened thousands of years ago, and it's a story that we could sort of look back on and commentate and be like, hmm, that's really interesting. I wonder what those people must have felt like. But what happens when we, the we, the us, who think that this is what it means to be in, and all of a sudden we find God at work outside of in. 
which leads to this center section, which I think is exactly what Mark is doing. New wine and new wineskins. Who has ears to hear and who has eyes to see? Mark ends or sort of brings this thing into focus with these three stories about a bride and a bridegroom, this cloth and a garment, and then new wineskins for new wine. Mark is essentially trying to get the readers to see and hear that in Jesus, God has redefined the entire system and the way by which someone comes into relationship with Yahweh is no longer about the temple and about the priests and about the sacrifices, but about a word that Jesus offers and it's called grace and forgiveness to any and all who want it. It's a new wine, it's a new movement, it's a new kingdom. And essentially he says you can't take a new thing, a new wind, a new wine that God is making and put it in an old system. Because it ruins both. Let me see if I can wrap this up. So a couple of months ago, uh, I was studying with some friends, uh, actually from Awaken, and this, this rabbi that I've studied with. And we're studying Numbers chapter 6. And if you know Numbers chapter 6, it's, it's one of the most quoted passages that maybe you don't know where it is in the Bible, but I know you've heard it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. It's the ironic blessing. And so I had always wanted to study this with Alan. For what, you know, as a pastor, it's kind of like this, it's a big thing, you know, like everyone remembers, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, like we've all been there at that moment when somebody gives that blessing. And as a pastor, it's kind of like, you know, I always have a hard time remembering it. I get nervous. Like, I, I think I should know this. The Lord bless you and keep you. And the, the Lord, uh, what's the next? Uh, <laughs> I got to memorize that one. So I'm studying it with Alan, and I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be so great. I'm so excited for this. There's going to be something for me, and it's going to be like waiting for it. So we study, we study, we study. We get all the way to the end of the study, and I'm kind of like, well, what in? That was interesting, but it wasn't fireworks. It wasn't what I thought it would be, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, turn his face to you, and give you peace. We get to the end, and I'm kind of like, huh. And then I read this last part. It says, so they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. I started thinking, who is they? Who's the they? So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Who is they? I just kept asking, who is they? So then I go back up to the beginning. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons. Who is Aaron? Aaron. Who are the Levites? They're the priests. They're the spiritual leaders. And then I saw it. So they will put my name on the people. Who is they? And I, it dawned on me for the first time this unbelievably holy and sacred thing that I get to do as a pastor. And then I started thinking of you. So they, so I will remind these people who it is that God is and what God has done. And for the first time, I saw it. It was there the whole time, but I didn't have eyes to see it. And then it was there. And it changed everything. And I think about what I get to do and the task that I've been given and this gift. And I wonder if Mark, in the same way, is offering the opportunity to see something that's right there in front of us.
that maybe some of us have missed. So maybe you're here this morning and you think church and religion is old wine and old wineskins. Maybe it's all wrapped up and concerned about the preservation of itself at all costs. Maybe for you, church and religion is this elitist group of people who spend most of their time watching out for the morality of other people and pointing something out about everybody else except for themselves. Maybe you see it as tribal and closed off and the people, if they don't look like us or think like us or believe like us, then they're out. Maybe it's irrelevant and outdated Maybe that's what you come here with as, as you think about church and religion. And can I just be the one to remind you, with Mark, I think, that Jesus brings a new and fresh wind of God's spirit then and now, and it's for all the wrong people. It's for all the people we think don't deserve it. It's for all the people on the outside. It's for all the people on the margins and the edges. And it's for all the people that we would have never expected it to be for. And God comes and breathes and says this new word of grace and forgiveness to any and all who will, like the Roman at the end of Jesus' life, stand before the cross and say, surely this is the Son of God. So who is Jesus? Who are God's people? And can you see and hear the new thing that God might be up to? Maybe you've come here this morning and for your whole life it's been about duty and religion and guilt and I would just hope and pray that the good news of the gospel breaks in for maybe for the first time this morning in a way that it hasn't before maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time but there's there is a sense of who's in and who's out and I would just say maybe that's not the point for you and for me maybe God can handle that and maybe our job is to actually be a light and salt in the world that reflects the light of God, which is all around us. And so what might that look like for you this morning? I'm going to ask John to come, and uh, they're going to lead us in a couple of uh, songs as we respond. And um, Let me offer a word of prayer, and then a time of silence. So if you would, join me in prayer. God, this morning, as we come and we hear... Um, this story and these words from Mark. We think about uh, what exactly you were doing when you came and the way in which Mark tells this beautiful story. God, I ask that as we take a moment in silence that you might speak, that you might make the truth of who you are clear for us today, maybe for the first time. That you might invite us into this new thing that you're doing, this word of grace and of forgiveness for the whole world. God, may we receive it new and fresh today. My friends, my hope, my prayer uh, for you this morning is that if if you come here and you're not sure about this Jesus guy or this church thing, that you would continue to hear the good news of the gospel, that it is done, that a word has been spoken, that grace is already yours. That it's not about religion, it's not about duty, it's not about guilt and obligation. But it's good news, and it's fresh, and it's a new way of being in the world, and it's yours. So take it. And if you, do, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you follow, 
that we would become a community where this is true, where the peace of God lives in us, where the, the dreams of God become a reality in us by the Spirit, and that we would be light in the world. So receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.